turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 19. I think we're there, aren't we? Well, let's take um, verse 18. Being then made free from sin, you became the slaves of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, servants, to uncleanness and iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness, unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's um, glorious when you begin to understand how Romans goes that um, uh, you remember that um, the second part of Romans is 6 is from verse 15 onwards to the end remember 1 to 14 was one part and then the second part was uh, 15 to 23 and here we get in verse 19 an explanation or, or should I say an exhortation uh, which really comes from the basis of verse 18. One of the secrets and the keys of understanding is that because I am what I am, then I can walk in freedom. It is not because I am free, then I am what I am. But because I am what I am, then I can walk in freedom. Now most people get it totally the wrong way around. And you remember in uh, verse, um, uh, up to verse 14, we dealt with the thing that um, we had the uh, stance and then we had the actual reality of living. Or as I put it a different way, though the words, just eluding my mind at this second. Uh, we had our positional place, and then we had our um, experimental. And uh, I couldn't get the experimental, dear old oh dear. Um, there was the experimental, and there was the positional. And I must divide the two always in my mind and my heart, and I must realize that. Uh, there is a lot of misunderstanding 
because I have a position, therefore something works. Now, because it works doesn't give me the position, but I get the position, um, and then because I have the position, it works in my life. And I need to understand that and comprehend it. Now, if it doesn't work in my life, it's because I haven't got the position. Or, I haven't realized the position that I've got in order that it might work. And we always need to understand those things. There are a lot of people that live in self-delusion, who believe that they should somehow get free. And um, you can't get free by seeking freedom. You get free by seeing that your position is freedom, and because you see your position is freedom, you realize you are free, therefore you walk in it. Now you understand what I'm saying, do you? Is it as clear as mud? No? Is it clear to you all? You all understand what I'm saying? So you'll never seek freedom of itself because you can't have freedom in that sense. What you must do is seek to realize and allow God to quicken to your heart the position you're in. And because you realize your position of freedom, you can walk in it. But you cannot get into freedom by believing yourself in it, being prayed into it, or anything. What you have to do is get born from above, and then, because you're born from above, you are free. Realizing your position, you can then walk in freedom. Now, you walk in freedom not because some experience has happened to you, but because you acknowledge where you actually are. Once you acknowledge where you are and see it, then you can automatically walk in it. But until you see where you are, you still will seek freedom of itself. And that is silly, because it doesn't work. I know, I try. And when you try something and it doesn't work, I always say, well, if it doesn't work, then reject it. Now, I was taught that um, you could be free from this and free from that and free from the other. But one thing you will never be free from is yourself. You are you. And one of the biggest errors that goes in the Christian church today is for someone to say, when you become a Christian, you cease to be you in the sense of you. But you never do. Though you're not the man you were born because, of course, the old Adam's slain and taken out, yet use you. Now what I mean by that is that, uh, well, it's really explained in this verse, you see, so uh, I'll go back to the verse. I speak after the manner of men, says Paul, because of the infirmity of your flesh. Now Paul, when he says this, I, I want you to understand that what he's saying here is, look, I'm putting over spiritual principles uh, in the way that men can comprehend them uh, 
He's not trying to make them carnal, but he's trying to put it over in a way. And he's using an illustration, but in the illustration, he's giving a warning. And that warning is this, what Paul's really saying when he says, I speak after the manner of men, is don't take an illustration to its ultimate. Beware of the error of concluding from a parable a truth and then drawing from that parable greater truths than actually the parable was used to portray. Uh, one of the greatest errors in um, uh, our time and age, I suppose, is someone like, um, uh, well, you know, one prophet who said, for instance, uh, he said, well, um, you see, Christ is the vine. Now, who agrees with that? Christ is the vine. All right, we all agree with that, don't you? Now, then, you see, he sat down and he thought, Christ is the vine, Christ is the vine, Christ is the vine. Well, he thought, I'm a prophet. Christ is the vine. I'm a prophet. Now, because I'm a prophet and a minister of Christ, therefore, there must be a way in which I'm between Christ and the individual because I minister life to them and my ministry brings fruit in their lives. So, he comes out with a doctrine and this is the doctrine. Christ is the vine, I'm the branch, you're the twig and the twig bears the fruit. Oh, that's reasonable. According to his view. And so, you see, he's taken a parable and he's then said, well, there's a parable of a tree bearing fruit. Christ spoke about a tree bearing fruit. And so he says, there you are. Christ is the vine or the stem. I'm the branch or an apostle or a prophet or a pastor is the branch. You crowd of the twigs, twiggy, um, and the twigs bear the fruit. Sounds all right, doesn't it? I mean, it does sound all right when you listen to it and you don't think. And I, I used to listen to these things, and I remember um, one girl coming along. Um, what was her name now? can't remember. Oh, well, it doesn't matter, I suppose. Anyway, she, she told me this cockeyed doctrine... And so I was walking down by the river one lunchtime where I was wont to walk in the days that gone by and the corn was blowing in the fields and I went and sat by the river and began to meditate. And the Lord said to me, you know, he said, I want to show you why that's wrong. I said, well, why is it wrong then, Lord? And he said, well, it's simple. Go and have a look at a vine. So I said, all right, I'll go and have a look at a vine. So I got in my car, and at that time I drove to Hilbra, you see. And they used to have a vine in the, in the uh, vineyard. No, the greenhouse. They used to have a vine in the greenhouse. 
And so I went into the greenhouse. I got into the greenhouse and I looked at this vine and it told me something. You know what it told me? Hmm? The only branches that bore fruit were which ones? Hmm? The ones right which ones? The, the only ones that ever bore were the ones that were just about that long. They had no branch at all. They were just little twigs coming out of the dead vine because the stem looks dead and you get these green shoots coming out and off those green shoots grow the grapes. Now, if you had a green shoot coming out with other shoots coming out, guess what? No fruit. So what that man was really saying was, well, I am the apostle or the pastor. You are the twigs. Now he thought by that, obviously, you'd bear fruit. The exact reverse was true. And I looked at this and God said to me, see? He said, now you know. People should connect me to themselves and themselves to me for I am the life and the nearer they are to me the more real it is and the more fruit bearing there is in their life if you spend your time listening to a pastor and all your life is drawn from what a pastor says in a meeting you won't bear fruit I can't be a branch to kind of have you hanging on the end of. Thank you very much. I've got enough weight with my own. And I don't want that. But you see, someone had taken a parable, and what they'd done is they'd sat down and they'd thought, well, now how can I work into that the fivefold ministry? And so they made a fivefold mistake. It wasn't truth but it sounded all right to the hearer of the carnal mind. The person who didn't sit down and think, just a minute, is this really what God's saying? Another doctrine they bring up, uh, I'll tell you, is the fivefold ministry, and then this great man, uh, I can't remember his name either, but he's in America, he works out, well, you've got five fingers or, or four fingers and a thumb on your hand well of course the thumb you can't grip anything unless you've got the thumb so the thumb's the apostle uh, and so then he works out all his doctrine you know and the next the biggest one's the prophet you know big fat stubby thing and then he works out all this doctrine you know beautifully five fingers so five-fold ministry. Of course, there's only a three-fold ministry, but, you know, five-fold this guy has God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But this guy has five-fold ministry, you know, prophet, priest, and king. It's the only true one. And so he works this out. Connors is his name. Connors. And great 
books is written on this, you see, and all people think that um, the fivefold ministry is a thing to be in it, and the small fingers, the evangelist. And he makes a joke about that because it can get in funny holes. Ha ha. <coughs> Doesn't matter. Um, and he makes a crack about it. Now, basically, you see, he took it from a doctrine which said, you're all members of the body, and members in particular. Now, if you sit and think about it, if you ever thought about it, and you looked at it, does the body consist of a hand? No. So, if we're members of a body, why did he take a part of a hand and then limit all the ministry to one little extremity of the body and say that's the body? Well, because his carnal mind thought that way. Now, what Paul, why I'm telling you this is because Paul wanted to make it clear when he was speaking to people that he was speaking after the manner of men. Uh, he didn't want people to get the idea that he was uh, bringing out a spiritual truth that could be applied to the nth degree. Because, you see, let's take it, um, when you're made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Now, let me explain to you something that's got to be made plain. You become a slave of righteousness, but when you are a servant of sin or a slave of sin, your bondage is totally different than the bondage you have when you're bound to Christ. All right? Think about it. Tyranny rules in your life and sin drives you with its terrible dirge, doesn't it? Hmm? And it's tyrannical in its possession of you isn't it? It somehow grips hold of you and even if I would, I couldn't. Is that not so? Now that is a terrible dominion that sin has over a man's soul. Now, you're a slave to sin in that sense. There are things that can grip hold of you and they are a curse unto you and they drive you and torment you and seem to absolutely slay you inwardly. And that terrible curse is there, and you're a slave to it. But when you become a slave to Christ, or a slave to righteousness, there's a totally different law. No longer is it uh, a tyrannical law, but it's a law of love. You fall in love with Jesus Christ. You realize what he's done for you and your heart responds with gratitude. And you do for him what you would. Not because he's a tyrant. Not because there's a driving force that compels you. But somehow there's just a love that's drawn your heart and you feel bad when you don't do his desire. A totally different kind of slavery. Um, there's um, when you get married, um, you fall in love before you get married, and then you get married. Now you give yourself over to total slavery. You man, beware, George. 
You give yourself over to total slavery, never to be free again. So do the women, but of course they have the privileges. And you have to realize it's total slavery, but it's not a slavery of a tyrant. It's a slavery of love. You want to get married. You want to give yourself to slavery, don't you? Don't you? Half of you must have been dragged to the altar, I can see. I mean, you want to, don't you? You want to give yourself, don't you? Well, you did on the day anyway, didn't you? Until you found out what it was about. You did, you did really want to give yourself to, didn't you? Someone say they did. Oh, good. Well done, Heather. Um, and then, you see, you realize afterwards, you think, well, I, I am bound. Uh, and, you know, old Colin, for instance, he, he was a rebel when, when he first came. I remember him in his jeans and his T-shirt. The first time I saw him, he was going windsurfing. I think. I think it was the first time I saw him. I saw this skinny, fragile frame on a windsurfing board, and I laughed when he came off, big show off. Um, uh, uh, and, and there he was, off he went. Now, he loved freedom. Now, when he got married, he discovered he was in bondage. Now, it... All right. Um, he discovered all of a sudden that his freedom was totally and utterly taken away. Fortunately, he discovered it after he was married. And that's one of the good things, you see. A love blinds you to the penalties. And you kind of go with starry eyes into this great thing called matrimony. And you don't realize just what it means until after the dastardly deed has been done. And then, it's, it's right, isn't it, Mary? Yeah. And then it's... Uh, don't threaten a rob. Uh, then it's too late. You realize afterwards that, that is, there's a certain amount of slavery in it. Isn't there? I mean, now you, you know, you love it, really. <laughs> but there is a certain amount of slavery. But it's not tyrannical. <laughs> it, it's not meant to be tyrannical. <laughs> I'll put it differently. It's not meant to be tyrannical. <laughs> Pointing at no one in particular. Um, it's meant... <laughs> what can you do with a congregation like that? It's meant... It is. <laughs> it is love, isn't it? Hmm? Hmm? Isn't it? Isn't it love? And, and we realize 
Now that is the way it is with Christ. Now there is type of the tyrant. Now, you know, that you'll find that, say, in your job, you know, your boss can be a tyrant. Uh, hopefully at home your wife isn't uh, the boss, or I mean the tyrant. Um, and you realize that it all works by love. And you see, what Paul was trying to make a point of, and this is why he says, I speak after uh, the manner of men. He was saying, okay, you know, I'm explaining in the basis of slavery. But don't take it so far as to get the analogy and think, well, because I'm a slave, then, you know, I can't really do anything for Jesus. You know, I'm just a bond slave. And if he tells me to do this, I'll do it. If he tells me to do that, I'll do it. I, anyway, I can't do anything but what he tells me to do because I'm a slave. Well, that's ridiculous. Um, it's not that type of slavery. It's a slavery of love where you're willing to serve because you love the master. Not because the master presses you to do it, but because your love draws you to do what the master desires. Do you follow the difference? And therefore he says after it, he says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity or the weakness of your flesh. Now when he refers to fresh to flesh here, he's referring to the propensities and uh, the, um, the drives uh, and the natural propensities that you have in your own body. Um, and they can be, um, he's talking about uh, here the uh, infirmity of the flesh. Now the infirmity is the weaknesses where the devil will take advantage. There are such weaknesses in everyone's flesh where the devil takes advantage. Those are the infirmities in the flesh. Now the propensities aren't evil in themselves, but there are weak areas where the enemy takes advantage. And those are the infirmities of the flesh. They're the weaknesses in your flesh. Now each one of us has different weaknesses. So don't think that, uh, you know, everyone has the same difficulty. Some people have weaknesses in faith. Other people have weaknesses in eating. Other people have weaknesses in drinking. Other people have weaknesses in lusting. Other people have weaknesses in coveting. Other people have weaknesses. Now, they're propensities. They're part of the flesh. Don't get the idea that those propensities are part of the mind. They're not. They're part of the flesh. They're appetites, flesh. And we've all got them. Now when Paul's writing, he's saying, look, I'm speaking after the manner of men because of, of the weaknesses of your flesh. And he's saying to them, now don't get the idea wrong. Don't take these things so literally that you get the idea you're a total slave. You understand what he's trying to get over? He's not, uh, in any sense, um, undoing what he said, but he's just trying to put it into context so people don't take it too literally. Because a slave, you know, wasn't allowed to do anything of his own will. He just could only do what the master said. And if he didn't, he got executed. Uh, we don't live under that kind of tyranny, do we?
Hmm? And so he says, because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as you have yielded your members slaves to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Now once again we get the call to yield. And you remember in verse 13 we had the similar thing uh, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God now that came from verse 11 where you likewise reckon you also yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin uh, verse 18 is being made free from sin and so we go on to another yielding but it's the same yielding Paul's saying it in a different way to bring us to an understanding. All right? You'll follow that. Um, the yielding's the same. I've got to yield my members. Uh, and, you know, members, as I say, are talking about the faculties and propensities. Uh, one thing I want to tell you is that when you become a Christian, what you don't get is new members. Um, you don't get new parts of your body when you got converted you didn't suddenly find you got three arms and two heads and in the sense of your soul realm and your abilities and powers you did not get some new powers now this is one of the great errors of the charismatics what they say and what they teach is you get great new powers and propensities you don't what God does is he takes a Paul who was uh, he takes rather a Saul who was a Saul a great persecutor absolutely dedicated to destroying the church a zealot in the nth degree um, very learned in the Jewish faith and he takes him and he makes him a Paul absolutely zealous in the work of God absolutely ruthless in rooting out sin and trouble in the church and absolutely able to give his life for the gospel now Saul was Paul and Paul was Saul and the natural propensities of both didn't change. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now you take a Peter. Peter, before Christ suffered on Calvary's cross, Peter was a fisherman, and Peter led the fishermen. Now, when Christ was risen from the dead, Peter stood up in the midst of the eleven. But Peter always was the one who was outspoken Peter was always the one who'd get out the boat and try it. He was the one who'd, um, you know, when someone said, Have you paid, does your master pay taxes? Oh, yeah, we pay taxes. And Jesus said, Oi, Peter, come here. Go and cast the line into the sea and fish out a fish. And he did so. And in it was the uh, gold piece. And then he said, Now go and pay the taxes. Because he didn't want Peter to be a liar, you see. Um, 
because I guess he, he didn't, I don't know whether he paid them or not. But anyway, that's how Jesus arranged to make sure they were paid. Now, Peter was the one who would always kind of step out and be outspoken. Now, you'll notice that when we cross over into conversion, what happens? Peter's the same man, except now he's yielded his members unto holiness. But he's not a different person than the person he was on the other side. What is different is the results that it produces. Do you understand what I'm saying? The propensities and the faculties were always there. Peter didn't suddenly, because he was baptized with power and the Holy Ghost, kind of come out, you know, make a little mild man who would never have offended anyone. Suddenly mighty and bold. And, you know, power. I mean, it wasn't like that, but that's the way it's portrayed. You know, God will fill you with the Holy Ghost, brother. You'll get a holy zeal and power. And you'll go forth and you'll do this and you'll do that. And people get the idea that their whole character and personality has changed. But actually, God wants you to be you. And the gifts of the Spirit will always be limited by the vessel. And you are governed uh, by the type of person you are into what you can enter into. Do you understand that? Your natural propensities and faculties or the members of your body or your flesh uh, will always be the same. There's not going to be a sudden transformation. So don't kind of pray to God and say, Oh Lord, um, you know, I'm just not the type of person who could really get up and do this, but I pray give me a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost and flood me and fill me and then I'm going to set the world alight. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. You won't. Because you'll end up as you. And God will use those natural uh, propensities and, and you'll yield yourselves to go the way of righteousness, but you'll still be you, and he uses those faculties. And the gifts of the Spirit operate through the faculties of the individual. Do understand that? So you will always find out that the individual is a prepared and chosen vessel and God doesn't take that prepared and chosen vessel and change that vessel in the sense of giving it new members. What's inside is different. Once it was the Adamic nature, and now it's the Spirit of God, what is contained within is totally transformed. And because there's a transformation within, then what's worked out in the life is totally different. But it's worked out through the same vessel. Now you understand that. It's rather like my wife one day, you know, she, she hasn't ever done this, but I, oh, I know, know where it happened. We were in Ireland. We went to Belfast with Ed. 
and uh, we were met this brother. What was his name? That, who had that church for the dancing people? Connor. Oh, Connolly, brother O'Connolly. That's it. Lovely man he was. Uh, peculiar, but lovely. You know, when we met him, he said, "Well, I just want you to know, I'm Jesus only and British Israelite." So, <laughs> you know, well, boy, we're going to have a meeting tonight. But actually, I don't think he really was. He just hadn't realized he'd left it behind <laughs> some time ago. And w he had a lovely church. And um, what was interesting was the waitress came out to serve the tea. And we were all sitting there. And there's one thing that an Englishman needs after our day. And we'd had our day. We'd been to see a few people. And oh, boy, it was Ireland. And so we, we sat down to have a meal. And... We, we ordered tea first, you know, before we had the meal. We, we wanted a cup of tea just to refresh ourselves. And of course, the Irish waitress came out and she began studiously to pour this tea, poured the milk in and then poured the tea. And I noticed, now I like weak tea, but I noticed that this was very weak tea. And after she poured two cups, she suddenly stopped. And she said in a sweet Irish maiden accent, Oh dear. And she opened the teapot and she said, There's no tea bags here. <laughs> and she picked it up and vanished, you see. And she came back a few minutes, it could only happen in Ireland, and she came back a few minutes later, and this was a posh place. <laughs> God deliver us from the unposh ones over there. Um... And then she came back and she began to pour again and of course out came uh, liquid, you know, brownish liquid, tea, we think. And she poured that out. Now, the vessel that she came with was identical. Once we got hot water, then we got something with substance called tea. And what I'm trying to tell you is you know, the same vessel can pour out a totally different thing. And once, with your nature being the nature of sin, you poured out unto sin all the time, now you can give out unto holiness and unto God, but you're the same person, same vessel, same way of functioning, but totally different spirit. You understand what I'm saying? Now, a person can't and mustn't ever think that he, he, he can be transformed into something else because you won't be. That's why when Paul writes here, he says, as you've yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. Now, that's what their members have done. And do understand that means the propensities and the faculties, not just the flesh. You know, people always seem to think of flesh sins. But I, as I pointed out to you, I, I'm talking about, you know, your propensities and everything. And, and faculties. Now those were yielded over to sin and iniquity unto iniquity. Now that was once. Now you notice he then doesn't say, even so now yield your new members. What he says is, yield those same members, those same faculties and propensities that you used to use for sin, 
yield to God. You follow? And we must beware that we don't get hooked up and in our minds, really, we're believing that God's going to change us in our faculties and propensities. He won't. You'll be you and your same abilities. For instance, your intellect will not change because you're saved. It won't. If you're forgetful in your natural nature before you become a Christian, I've got news for you. You'll be holily forgetful when you are a Christian. Your, your mind and your intellect doesn't suddenly leap forward and change. Don't think because you become a Christian and you've been lighted by the Holy Ghost and you get revelation from God that your faculties change. They don't. They're the same. Your memory is the same. Your intellect's the same. Your powers are the same. You can develop them more because basically as you yield yourself to God, you will find that God will begin to develop those faculties in holiness and there will be a greater development than there would have been, hopefully, when you were in sin. But don't think that there's a transformation and that your members are changed. They're not. Now that is one of the biggest errors that happens in the Christian world where they teach people that basically you, your whole uh, being changes and you, you don't have the same faculties and you're not really the same person in the sense of personality. Of course you are. That's why one of the big errors is um, in holiness teaching they think everyone should be the same ilk. You should smile, you should be, you know, kind of nice and gentle and never offensive and never upset anyone. And, you know. uh, and all that. Now that is junk. When I was talking the other uh, meeting, I remember saying that one thing God had made me was a fighter. Now there is something within my nature that was to fight. There was something within Peter's nature that was to fight, which is probably why I like studying Peter. Prefer him to John, though John is probably the greatest lover of the Lord. Peter had a real kind of fighting spirit. Now, I'm afraid that I probably must confess that I would align more with Peter in my natural propensities than I could with John. I, I just am that way. Now, each of you is a different way. Each of you is an individual. Now, because you become a Christian, you won't become like me, thank God. And I won't become like you. Those same members that you gave over to sin, you've got to yield to God. But they're the same. Do you understand? There'll be a lot in your life that's very much the same. And it's good that it goes into holiness and it's used in God's purposes. And God wants to use those propensities that you could use for sin in his glory and for his name. And the reason he saved you was to use those abilities. Not to give you special abilities, but to use the ones you have. 
Now, don't get the idea because you've got a career uh, in a certain thing, therefore, obviously, uh, that's how God wants to use you. I'm not talking about careers. I mean, for instance, Albert's a doctor. Now, it doesn't mean, therefore, because Albert's a doctor, he'd become a healer uh, in the sense of divine healing. Of course not. That is not a natural propensity. That is something that he's learned. It doesn't mean that Alan, because he makes nurses' uniforms, um, will suddenly <laughs> become... <laughs> it doesn't mean because Rob um, works, works in, in the newspaper and advertising that therefore God is suddenly going to use him to advertise Jesus Christ in the new evening standard. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that. And what I'm talking about is your intellect and the powers of reasoning and stuff and your emotional and, and your character. That's what God will use. Don't take it beyond what I'm saying. It's you yield your members. Of course there are things you've learned that might be used for God or might not be used for God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is everyone clear on that? Hmm? So, we need to understand that and then I want to go on and deal with things. Now there are, s there are basically six simple principles in this passage that I want you to make a note of. The first is, you yield. And the yielding as is the same word as in the army, to surrender. All right? To yield. And the second thing is, there's a command to do something. It's a, a commanding word. It's not a, a, a request. It's a command. Um, and it's something we have to do. And thirdly, it's an exhortation or command based on the position that we're in. In other words, it says, you became the slaves of righteousness, and because you became the slaves of righteousness, therefore yield your members to holiness. Now, do you understand? You are the slaves of righteousness in verse 18. And because you became the slaves or servants of righteousness, therefore, says Paul in verse 19, even so now yield your members. Do you understand that? So it's because you know your positional position that you can work out in experience. All right? And then we go on to number four. Um... New, tank, uh, New Testament sanctification. And in New Testament sanctification, you've got to realize what God has done. Your position in Him is what's important. The fifth principle is be what you are. Don't try and be something else. In other words, don't think, and this is, this is a terrible dirge of churches, if you went 
say, years ago. Now, it's noticeable that if people went to All Souls, Langham Place, within a short while, they learnt a way of speaking which was distinctive. Now, the problem was, you see, it wasn't them. Now, I know other people who went uh, on the North Circular, for instance, and I think I've told you. They all learnt when they got up to preach to hold their Bibles like that. They all learnt to brush their hair back like that. I can just do it now. Just like that. Couldn't do it with a stiff shoulder. Um, they learnt to do that. Uh, they learnt if they wore glasses to take them off like that and rub them on the back of their trousers. It's risky. You might shatter the glass if you... Um, <laughs> um, but they learn all sorts of things and you looked and what they'd become was not them they'd become miniatures of their, their leader that they looked up to now that was total and utter carnality they weren't yielding their members to God they were using their members to imitate and one of the curses and works of the flesh is emulations you see, what we're not trying to be, don't try and be Mike Reed. Please. All right, Jackie. <laughs> because that's not what God wants you to be. God wants you to be you. Don't try and be Ed Miller. There's no way, thank God, that I could imitate him, especially his singing. Now, I wouldn't try to imitate his singing. I, I just know that my voice is not equipped. Now, there's no way I've got to yield my members to God. All right, if I have to lead the singing, then I'll lead the singing. But I'm not going to try and jump four octaves or whatever he does or, or drop down them or do this or do that or sing falsetto, I don't know. You know, I listen to Robert Miller and he can do all these jiggles with his voice. Mine, I can't even get near a note. And that's when it's sitting on a line. Or hung on one. I just can't seem to get near it. Now, I can only be me. Now, I can't get people to, to um, you know... I can't deal with them in the same way. Ed said to me one day, we were sitting talking, and, um, you know, he said to me, you know, one thing you have, he said, that you haven't realized. I said, what's that? He said, well, you have a gift of faith in a realm that I don't have. I said, oh, what's that? And he said, well, he said, you have the faith to really face people up with things and it ministers life to them. He says, I can't do that. If I do that, it finishes them. But he says, somehow, when you face people up, you can break through barriers, and you can cut through things, and you can bring them to light. He said, in that realm, it's your natural realm. Now, in the same way, I had that propensity when I was in the police. They used to ask me to go in when anyone needed cross-examination. I could go in there... And I could tie them up in knots as quick as lightning.
because I have a very acute memory for exactly what someone said and I would just fire questions at them and then I'd dodge back and forth and, until they didn't know whether their name was Christmas or Easter. And they would... <laughs> and, and they would go, you know, and in the end, I could break them. Give me an hour with anyone and I reckon, they reckon I could break him. And so they'd invite me in to do that. Now... That was a natural propensity that I had. But when I became a Christian, and when Christ filled me, what he didn't do was take that propensity and ability away and sharpness away. But what I can do now is yield my members to God so that that gift, which was a natural propensity basically, could be used for the kingdom of God. Now I could also get up and speak in public with no fear. That was a natural propensity. I want to tell you that that is the same thing that happened. Don't believe the stories that you hear that once a man was meek and mild and, you know, couldn't do this, couldn't do that. And then God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And have you ever noticed some preachers who get come here and they're Pentecostals and they can speak in a funny voice and they go through all and they do a preacher? Sounds like the auctioneer. Um, you know what I mean? They, they put on this voice. It's not them. You imagine going to their home. Sit down, come on now, would you like a cup of tea? They don't do that. But when they get up in the pulpit, immediately there's a voice goes on. And have you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh... Now that is false. That's not being you. Now God wants you to yield your members. So what you are in your home is what you are in the church. <laughs> That's with the proviso. You're yielding your members to God in the home. Uh, then obviously you are what you are in the church. And you're not something different. You don't suddenly take on a holy look and a... Uh, uh, a funny voice and some people I, I hear them pray and they've got a praying voice and the tone of their voice dear Lord Jesus now they speak like that before they start talking to the Lord you know and their voice goes up six octaves or whatever and, and the whole thing and you look round and wonder who it is Oh, they go ever so quiet to mousey and Lord, Lord. And, and yet when you talk to them afterwards, they say, oh, hello, nice to see you. And, you know, their, their voice is different. And somehow they've got an impression that that's spiritual. But you see, what they haven't appreciated is you yield your members. That's the natural propensities that you are. You yield them over to God. Don't try and take what you think is some great spiritual uh, whatever you call it be you the fifth principle you need to remember is be what you are even so now Paul wrote you yielded yourselves to sin once yield yourselves to God alright you got a hold of that and sixthly Failure 
in your life is due to one thing and one thing only. If you fail in your life, do you know what the problem is? What's the problem? What's the problem? What's the problem? What's the problem? What's the real problem? No. That's wrong. What's the real problem? Well, I've been telling you all evening. Hmm? Yes. Or... Or, or what? You don't realize the position you're really in. Do you remember I've said that it's your position that counts? Because you're in the position, then yield yourself. Do you realize? Because you became slaves to righteousness in verse 18, therefore yield yourselves. So the answer can't be yielding. The answer to failure is that you haven't realize the position that you became a slave of righteousness. Once you realize that and you realize that you're transformed and you realize you're a partaker of the divine nature, then you can yield yourself from a position of knowing what you are. But trying to get into what you are without knowing it, you can't. And so the failure with people is they fail to recognize the position they're already in. So you're trying to get an experience to get you to somewhere where you're already at. And you remember the story of the chap who was in Piccadilly Circus trying to dig out a Dartmoor and he couldn't make it. He ended up on the Piccadilly line. Um, why? Because basically he wasn't in Dartmoor. And you have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And once you realize where you are, you can live. And that's providing you really are there and God's done a work in you. All right? Do you all understand those six things? So the firstly, yield. Secondly, we're commanded to do something. Thirdly, exhortation or command based on what has already happened. Fourthly, New um, Testament sanctification is to realize what God has done, your position in him. Fifthly, be what you are. And sixthly, failure is always due to not realizing the truth about ourselves. Not realizing our positional truth. All right? You'll follow that. That's simple, isn't it? So Paul writes in this verse, therefore, he says, Okay, I speak after the manner of men because of the weakness of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. 
What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death? But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God or slaves to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and your end, everlasting life. Why? Because of your position. You follow? Realize God saved you. God's delivered you. You are a son of God. You have positionally no old man. Your old man was done away with. You're delivered. You're set free from sin. You were buried with him by baptism into death. Like as Christ was raised from the dead, even so you should walk in newness of life. That's positional. That's true. Nothing can change it. You're raised. By the power of God, you have resurrection life. It's automatic. Because as Christ was raised, you were raised in him. Conclude because of those things, or reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. Because Christ took it all, because Christ died to it, because he was buried, because he rose again, conclude you're dead to sin, but alive unto God, says Paul. Therefore, yield your members as servants to righteousness. Once you yielded them to sin, but because of all this, just yield yourselves to God. That's all he's saying. And that's all the truth contained in Romans chapter 6. And so, rather than repeat by just going through the next few verses, which are a repetition, we're going on next time to Romans chapter 7. Okay? Yield yourselves, and then we'll go on to see how it's all done. Let's pray. Lord, we thank thee for thy word. We thank you for what you've really done and what our position is in you. We thank you, O Lord, that our propensities, our natural propensities, are, are what we are. Lord, touch each soul and heart. Forgive us when we've tried to be something other than we really are. But let us yield our members, those members as slaves to righteousness, unto holiness. Cause us, O oh God, once sin reigned and we were under the rule of sin, but now we're under the reign of God, the reign of grace. Let us walk in it. Let us live in it. Let us be slaves to it, we pray. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. Well, I hope it's clear. Everyone found Romans chapter 6 pretty easy, wasn't it, really? When you knew how. We're going on to Romans chapter 7 next time. I, 
Um, I'm going to intersperse it with Revelation. I, I can't resist starting Revelation. Um, once we've gone into the beginning of Romans 7, because uh, you need that to come quickly while 6 is fresh in your memory. Okay, Thursday, don't forget, there's prayer meeting in the morning and concert room at 7.45 in the evening.